Welcome everyone to the Varying Viewpoints podcast. This is Mary Beth Gassman. I'm here uh, representing the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice. And I'm excited because we have a wonderful guest, Elmira Mangum, who is a leader in higher education and someone that I admire and that we all admire at the Proctor Institute. Welcome, Elmira. Thank you. All right, so I have a bunch of questions for you, and it's uh, it's exciting for me to do this because um, I've been able to spend some time with you over the past few years, but uh, and I know you have um, lots and lots of knowledge and also a great sense of humor. So I thought we would start out with a question uh, about what has really, uh, you know, ignited your life interest in higher education? What are some of the experiences that made you go this route instead of others? That is a very interesting question. And my answer, you might not uh, think traditional, but I started off in public service and a desire to serve when I was very young. But my goal was with my graduate education and while I was in um, undergraduate school was actually to become the secretary of, of housing and urban development. So I have been a planner and I've been interested in building cities and towns and places like that. To my dismay, however, in the middle of my uh, graduate education, I came to understand, or I think the president at the time uh, eliminated the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development position and combined it into one department. So there shot my dream of becoming the uh, second black woman that would be heading up uh, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development behind um, Ms. Harris. So as a result of that, doing an internship during my undergraduate education, I did an internship, a congressional one in Washington, D.C. And I was exposed to a lot of um, public service opportunities and experiences and wanted to always to work in government services. And so when I graduated from um, graduate school with my uh, master's degree, I decided to uh, work at the University of Wisconsin Extension doing a planning function. Uh, and during that time, I got to know the university professionals and worked with the university and became involved with it. And becoming involved with the university doing operations management and planning for the geology of Wisconsin, I got to know a lot of people uh, in higher education uh, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And as a result, my career just led me to places where I came to understand that the university environment had everything that a city had in terms of planning. Um, we had, you know, the utilities, you had the housing, you had um, the finance, the economics. University is just a small microcosm of society and you're training people um, to go out and to serve. And that's what we, what we do in public service. So I got attracted to that and from the University of Wisconsin, I worked with um, in public service for a while, and I got attracted back to the university um, in a operational position. So I, from then, I just stayed with the universities uh, because my skills and my training that I got in school was very applicable to uh, colleges and universities. So from there, I went to um, University of North Carolina, University of Buffalo, um, and several places. Uh, just to do the craft and I, I just enjoyed the work because it was challenging being in a higher education environment where the changes are being made or the knowledge is being created was exciting to me. 
So that's kind of how I progressed through various positions, dealing with budgeting, with uh, administrative reorganization, and just planning within an institution. I found it exciting. Wow. wow. Um, so uh, thank you. And I, so for folks listening, I gave Elmira um, a list of questions, but I have to ask a question that's not on the list. So please forgive me, Elmira. Um, so I have kind of seen you in action uh, showing people how budgeting works, how finance works, and you're really, really good at those kind of tying all of these big picture ideas together. And you were just talking about it a minute ago, just like that higher education really is like a mini city. And I guess what I'm wondering for people listening is, uh, do you have to have a brain that works that way? Like, or is this something that, that most people could, could aspire to be in one of these positions? Or do you really think that it takes uh, a certain uh, type of thinking or way of thinking in order to do the kinds of things that you've done in your career? I, I don't like to think I'm that special, first of all, that, <laughs> <laughs> that I, I really do believe that I have a systems approach uh, and I like looking at a broader view. And that's part of the training that I received, I believe, when I was in school. And I've always been told that I don't look at the small, I look at the big picture. So I try and focus on the outcomes as opposed to just the inputs. And part of my training, I believe, uh, in, in um, Wisconsin, it's part of our planning when we went out into cities and we had to look at the entire uh, community for, uh, to assess the impacts. And so by being trained to look at the entire community, I would um, always approach assignments looking at the bigger picture. And that was something that I did in every position that I had when I was working in financial aid or student uh, accounts. Um, my supervisors would say, you always have the answer to the question before we ask the question. And I said, well, for me, it was just curiosity. Having a curious mind is something that, you know, you grow up thinking. My mother would tell you that, too. Um, <laughs> that you ask a lot of questions, probably too many questions, and then you go and you try and solve the, solve the problems yourself. So being a problem solver is just kind of what grows uh, with you being curious. And, and that's actually what entrepreneurship is all about. And that's what we're trying to teach students now, to think outside of the box. Think beyond what you see and what you feel, but think about what can be. And I think it's partly because you train yourself to look beyond what you see, but it's also because you are given the freedom to think beyond what you see and instead of getting it squelched. Being a person, one of nine children, we had a lot of freedom to, to think. <laughs> Uh, and to be creative. Um, and so I think that's really part of it. Because being a president was not my goal. I will say that. Mm -hmm. It was not a goal of mm -hmm. mine, becoming a pre college president. Well, how did that happen if it wasn't a goal? I'm curious. Um, well, I had, uh, as I worked throughout the universities, I was assigned uh, mentors and went to professional development uh, programs to try and advance the vision and mission of the president or vice president that I was working for or provost. And when you get exposed to um, opportunities to create solutions to problems, then you learn that, you know, they think or they thought that I was able to and could be able to be in a leadership over some of these activities. In fact, I was asked by one provost that I admired so much 
did I want to be in leadership? I told him, no, I said, I like being a support person. I like you being out there in, in front of the fire and making sure that you are able to stand and have the information that you need. And so my approach to uh, supporting leadership that way was how they identified me, several of them, and encouraged me to pursue opportunities to become um, become a president. And after many, many, many years, I finally uh, gave in to the idea because, honestly, I was on my way to retirement. That's, that was my dream uh, when I became a certain age. And I thought that I could probably with the uh, do something good um, for basically a historically black college because all of the things that I had learned at major research institutions was something that I could bring to the table to help advance um, the institution. And because there was so much, my research was on historically black colleges and universities and leadership, and there was just so much being written about them and being able to keep up, when I say keep up with what the standard changes were in higher education and the community uh, around higher education with regard to funding, changing of programs and becoming um, leaders, not just within a small pond or a small community, but being leaders in education period was something that I could bring to the table. And I'd worked with plenty of people that had and formed teams that evolved at, were designed to evolve an institution or programs within an institution to keep up with the, you know, the reality of the changes that were taking place in the world through um, educating our students with higher education. So I thought it was an opportunity that we could bring something different to the table uh, and get ahead of the curve instead of playing behind. And so that was what interested me in uh, going to uh, Florida A&M University. Basically, I read the annual report and I read the statistics and I read the performance uh, metrics and I thought we could do wonders to improve upon them given the opportunity. Very nice, very nice. Thank you, thank you for uh, sharing that. And um, I guess I'm I'm curious uh, because um, you are a woman and you are an African American woman and and uh, we know that there are some pretty significant challenge in U challenges in U.S. society around being a, a black woman. And I'm, I'm thinking that there are probably even larger challenges for leaders and also college presidents. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about maybe both of those things and the intersection of them as well as you've been a leader, how, how those aspects of your identity have, have played out. I'm sure there are lots of people um, listening who are who are wondering about that and, and maybe African-American women themselves. Well, you know, the, both the things that you used to identify me, African-American and of being a woman. So those are things that I've been all my life. So I don't know how to be anything other than that. And I always mm -hmm. laugh at that because it's interesting to try to take yourself outside of the role that you've always played. So the way that you grow into being uh, a professional um it's just part of who you are. But recognizing that people treat you differently um, because you are an African-American and because you are female, one of the things that I learned early on, I guess, was that those things about myself I cannot change. And so part of the problem that I saw with people being able to accept me in a leadership position or accept me in uh, a role as an African-American, I was just gonna say black woman, um, mm -hmm. was Mostly, I, I start flipping it and I said, that's their problem. The problem that you mm -hmm. have, not me, the problem that you have is the way that you perceive me. So your bias and your bigotry is attributing to your 
uh, perception of what I'm saying. So my goal was to be competent in what I was doing and to make sure that I understood um, my role in the room and had the correct information. So being um, competent was, was my defense against um, anything that people would say. And I did not take it personally um, when people uh, made comments about or tried to treat me differently uh, for being a woman because I didn't feel and I was not going to allow uh, myself to feel less than because of someone else's weakness and in, in not accepting me for who I was. So for me, the primary goal was to have preparation and being prepared um, was always kind of the Girl Scout thing. I was a troop leader a long time ago. So being prepared was what we uh, were trained to do. And the old saying of, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So knowing what I was doing was always a self-defense for me. The other thing I think that's clearly important is being authentic. Uh, my intentionality about being authentic, um, it didn't come overnight, but being comfortable in my own skin was extremely important to me because most of my career and, uh, prior to going to Florida A&M University was sitting in a room where I was the only person of color most mm -hmm. of the time. And there would have been a few women in that room. And so being able to um, share the knowledge or report and have um, my thoughts expressed was always uh, something that I focused on being able to do and understanding that being a female in a room, um, oftentimes they would not allow you to speak. So part of it is also gaining a voice and understanding that once you gain that voice and you contribute to the environment, often it does not become a real idea until somebody else repeats it, that, and that mm -hmm. somebody typically a white male. Uh, and understanding that, what I took from that was, if my idea was good enough for a white man to repeat it, and then they acted upon it, I had solace in the fact that my idea was good and that I was thinking right, and so I, I took that as success because at least I was, uh, I want to say at least I was contributing and I knew that my contributions were valued. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a constant, um, it's a constant, it's a constant, um, I guess, awareness that you have to have about who you are and why you're in the room and what the results are that you are trying to achieve, because it's not always about you personally, it's about the bigger picture and whether or not you are going to get the outcomes that you need to obtain success. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I, I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate your views as well. And I, I especially like that you um, don't let other people define you. I think that that's really, really important. So thank you. Um, another thing that I alluded to earlier was, you know, just I've kind of seen you in action, teaching people how to um, think about budgets and finance and uh, and institu institutional sustainability. And when you worked with our um, aspiring leaders, uh, uh, presidential preparation program, and um, and I know that you do consulting around this issue as well. And I guess one of the things that I'm wondering is for those people who might be listening, who are thinking about being uh, a president or in leadership within a, a college or university. Uh, what do you think that they need to know with regard to uh, institutional budgeting, financial management, institutional sustainability? What, what are the things that they have to get their, 
their head around in order to be a successful leader from your perspective? That's a great question also. I think that uh, having um, knowledge about your organization is is extremely important. I think that many people probably take it for granted that institutions are financially sound, that they're okay because they're recruiting and they're going about the business of the day, and that is not necessarily the case. Many times you walk in and you find out what the real story is because nobody ever tells you the real truth, as they'll say, and they are not or everything during an interview process. So doing as much diligence as possible to understand what the institution is about, what it's looking for, and whether or not you actually fit with that institution. Um, pay attention to, I would say, all of the warning signs around the institution with regard to financials. The thing that I try and stress in my seminars and in my briefings is take a look at that financial plan. That's the thing that most people don't want to look at, but everything that you want to know about an institution is in that balance sheet and that financial plan, and it behooves you to read it. And they are not that difficult to read. It's just one of those mysteries that you need to sit down and, t and take the time to read and ask questions about it, uh, because everything that they're doing financially is going to be in that, in that financial plan. The narrative behind and the stories behind all of those numbers is something that you can always ask the people in leadership about, but you really do need to learn the roles and responsibilities of the people that contribute to that financial plan. So I would say read the annual report, the financial plan, and if there is a mission, a statement, or a five-year plan, a strategic plan, I would read those documents because they tell you where the institution is going where it wants to go, and um, how well they're doing um, in trying to reach, the, reach those goals and objectives. So I would say <laughs> how to connect each that they've identified with the vision and the money that they have. So here, here's, a, here's a question. I, I mean, I, uh, I always have people coming to me telling me they want to be a college president. And I know like a lot of college presidents that um, I'm friends with have the same thing happening. And um, here's what I'm wondering, if someone really doesn't like the financial aspects of, of the job, should, should, they, should they try to become a college president? I would say, I, I would really, really question why they want to be a college president if you don't want to understand the budget. It's like running a household and don't want to know what, 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 what the uh, mortgage note is or what the taxes are. I don't know how you do it without understanding what resources you have to be able to move the institution or um, knowing what resources you need to go gather or to um, fundraise in order to meet the institution. I think big mistakes are made when people assume that someone else uh, is responsible for um, handling all of the finances and, and understanding all of the finances for you. How are you going to motivate and move your vision if you don't understand the resource base that you're going to use? So I would say they need to pay attention to all of the um, financials, but I think that's a warning. That's a bad warning sign if you really aren't interested in the institutional resource base. What are you interested in? Everything in the institution comes comes back to the financial plan and comes back to the resources that you have available. Your faculty salaries are dependent upon it. The student tuition is dependent upon it. All the major drivers of the business 
that you're in or the industry that you're in goes back to the finances and the budget. And not to know it, how are you going to raise money for an institution that you don't have any idea what they what they uh, what the infrastructure is like in terms of finances, the buildings, the grounds, the people. Those are all resources. It's resource management. Thank you. Thank I you. Say, um, interested. What did you say? What was that? I said I would advise a person to stay away from leadership and higher education if you're not interested in the money and understanding the money. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I'm always telling people that uh, you can't uh, push the money aside. You got to really take a look at it. So, um, okay, so shifting gears. Gotta hold it. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you say? I said you have to hold it and squeeze it. The money. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so uh, shifting gears a little bit uh, to uh, kind of what you're doing now. And I know that you um, have your own business now and that's called uh, EM plus three and it's focused on um, organizational redesign, leadership, budgeting, planning, and higher education. And I, I'm curious and I, and I know um, you had, you know, been thinking about retirement, but what prompted you to develop this um, this business? Well, p- question, people asking me to come do talks uh, to boards of trustees and to train various um, executives or, you know, chief academic officers around budgeting and around planning. And I thought to myself, this is a great opportunity to share some of my experiences over the years especially at a particular time when um, the reality in higher education is that it has to change. And change management is is very, very um, difficult for some people. And doing it around um, uh, organizational redesign or administrative efficiencies is something that I've been doing for my entire career. So I thought it was an opportunity. It's an opportunity to share with people uh, that want to know uh, in subject matter areas, in fact, that want to know more about how you move an agenda through an institution. And it's all, it comes back to, at some point, uh, the resources, human as well as financial resources. And so that's what we talk about, the different strategies and how to, who should be involved, and what you need to know in order to do it. Um, and so that's how, kind of how I got involved in it, by just having invitations and one way of um, being able to uh, control my schedule uh, and also give my youngest son an accounting job on the side. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And um, so how how are people responding to uh, kind of your approach and, and the knowledge that you're bringing uh, when you visit campuses and interact with leaders? It, I have been received very well um, by by different groups, the boards, and, they, and the thing about it is when they ask me questions about the finances and I tell them what um, best practices are because I use a best practice approach so as not to um, say what you're doing is, is uh, wrong. I show best practice and I compare with what you're doing and then they can make decisions about how they want how they want to change. But most often people start asking me other questions about how you manage it through certain organizational structures and organizational designs that they have. So we talk about um, what the ideal or best practice organization is with regard to the number of direct reports, 
and the kinds of functions that uh, an institution have and where they would both best be um, managed and what the interrelationships are. So it's always, the conversations always evolve into an overall institutional um, approach and institutional redesign. Some people call it um, reconstruction, destruction, um, massive changes. It just depends on your approach because there are lots of ways to change institutions and move um, people and, and, uh, and boxes around on an organizational chart that's not as disruptive um, as some people may think. It's a matter of whether people actually accept the idea that they need to change as an institution and whether or not the leadership of that institution can um, get the faculty and the staff on board knowing that it is something that is needed. Mary Beth, that's the, really the biggest problem is people thinking that change can occur to move an institution but not affect their particular area. So that's why you have to have buy-in across the institution. And so we talk about strategies that um, can be used to get buy-in across the institution. And most people do it when their backs are against the wall, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're helping people out. I can imagine that people really need some help right now. So, um, and uh, given uh, what we're going through with the coronavirus uh, across the country. So, um, so another question I have uh, is that, uh, and this is uh, a, a little, a little selfish because it's talking about one of the programs that we um, run at the um, Rutgers Center for Minority Serving Institutions. And um, that is that you are a mentor in the um, MSI Aspiring Leaders Program. And I was wondering if you could talk about two things. One is um, how you approach mentoring of future leaders and what advice you would have for, uh, for them uh, if, they, if they do want to pursue uh, a, um, a presidency in particular. Okay, well, when I start getting to know my um, mentees, my first question to them is, what is it that they want? Uh, and why do they want to become a college president or why they want to mostly leave their faculty role um, and, become a and become a college president or a provost and move up into uh, educational leadership? Because I think their motivation uh, is extremely important. Um, and it helps me be able to direct them into, you know, to certain readings and to talk to them about how I believe that they would best uh, pursue an opportunity. So we, we go over situations. I like to give my mentees um, different, I used to say difficult, but different situations and ask them how they would respond to it and what do they think they need to respond to it. So we have conversations about where they are now and how they would approach going to uh, the next level. I like for them to talk about um, how what their pathway is and what they believe their pathway is. So we talk about um, opportunities that they have and whether or not we believe um, or I believe that that opportunity is the best one for them and the track that they want to go on. I think there are so many institutions in higher education, different types of institutions. I think they need to know about um, how they would fit at certain size of institutions and uh, control in terms of an institution, whether it's private, public, um, or any affinity groups. Uh, so they need to know what they're looking for. And if they don't know, that's okay. But part of it is also understanding where their strengths are 
and where they believe that they can add the most value. And so a lot of it is self-reflection uh, for them in terms of trying to match themselves up because what I want them to do is look for the fit, not just wanting a title of president, but wanting to be able to make changes or lead in higher education requires more than just holding a title. I think part of the um, disadvantages that sometimes we get trapped into leadership is because people pursue titles rather than pursuing um, change or, or pursuing the work that's involved in it because the title doesn't create um, the change or create the outcomes or the leadership that you need or the successes that you want. It's the work that you're going to, that you're willing to put in and what has to be done to uh, achieve it. And I think that's extremely important for anyone that's pursuing um, a position uh, in higher education. A lot is said about uh, the culture of different organizations that, and different institutions under different types of control. I think it's important to understand um, what the culture is uh, at an institution, what their values are, and being sure that the values of the institution align with your, your personal values and also your uh, professional goals and objectives. So that's the kind of thing that we talk about a lot. So I, I recommend uh, books. We talk about books that we read. I recommend attendance at um, professional conferences because I think that's extremely important, especially for the faculty types. And I'm going to say a person that is faculty and getting into uh, administration and leadership. There are lots of conferences where they can actually attend as just a conference attendee and start mixing and mingling um, into uh, the environments where the administrators are and the leaders are to learn what the topics are, the administrative topics and the leadership topics are for uh, for the future so that they know when they move into um, a leadership position, they can understand what the organizational structure is about. Just going into a facilities organization, understanding what your vice presidents are doing and what's within their um, span of control that's the kind of information that you can obtain from going to professional development conferences for facilities professionals or for legal professionals or um, just across higher education. I think that the exposure to people in those areas is extremely important. You don't just walk into a presidency or a provost job just because it might, you think administration is easy. It's, it's nothing easy about being um, a leader or an administrator or a manager no matter what area you are in a university. So understanding the whole anatomy is what I think is it's most important. I used to teach a course on the anatomy of a university for students in public oh, wow. policy administration. Just so I, I was trying to recruit them to, instead of going into city government to come into uh, university administration by making the parallels um, for them so that they could see we could get their kind of thinking and strategic thinking inside of the institution. Oh, so very kind of, nice, very nice. I was just going to say, and whatever else they want to talk about, I let them lead um, to try, and I try and, and, and guide them down certain paths to gain certain information uh, to help them move their careers forward uh, as well. Oh, well, thank you. We really, we really appreciate all you do, and I know some of your, um, your mentees, and they speak really highly of you, so uh, we, we really appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask you one last question, just sort of a fun question, and that is um, because one of the things about being a leader and 
is that you have to have ways to um, relieve stress and have a balanced life. And so I'm just wondering for people listening, um, because you have held these really stressful positions throughout your career. Um, what, what do you, you know, what do you do for fun? What do you do to relieve stress? What, what, what kinds of things, uh, what kinds of things that, that work for you? Well, I do a lot of stuff. My main thing, I like, my, I'm not a sports person, but I love downhill skiing. It's a wonderful thing. It's the most freedom on earth is to be at the top of a mountain and just sail down to the bottom on, on skis. I like golfing because there's another, these are all loner type things, but because you ski with a group, but you know you're in, you're in, you're in control. And um, golfing is the same way. I enjoy playing golf. Oh, if I could get a good day of golf, it's wonderful. It's a 75 to 80 degrees. That's a beautiful thing. And I love the beach. Going to a beach and just sitting out watching um, watching the ocean, the tides roll in, as you say. And um, my main fun, fun thing is I like dancing. I do dance a lot because I, I like dancing. And I like R&B. I do like jazz. But I'm old school. Motown is my thing. So that's what I do for fun. And now that I am less, I'm not doing the day-to-day grind, I have a wonderful, wonderful green thumb. So I got flowers growing everywhere. So I'm out in the yard a lot. And, and, oh my uh, goodness! I mean, I was expecting maybe one or two things, and you had you had everything. That was amazing. I love that. You, you're. I mean, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I love all that. That's great. You sound happy. For a hermit, I, I do good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're we're all hermits right now, but um, uh, you know um, this. So I I do I I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy life. I um, volunteer. Some of the things I'm doing right now, I just got on my planning board in my town because we got we we have some greenways and uh, things like that that we are developing. And so the arborist and I and the city planner. I, so I'm anyway I'm on the plan. I just got appointed to the planning board. So. That should be fun. So I can talk to all my neighbors about what's happening, try to control our taxes a little bit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I'm also working with um, the food pantry. I do that also twice a month and go give food out to uh, people that need it. I I so enjoy that so much. That's one of the things that uh, gives me so much joy is to talk to the people. And Mary Beth, I really do try and tell them how to cook some of the food that we give away. (laughs) Some of it might be things that they have never seen before. And so I said, do you really know what to do with that? You know, a lot of the seniors come through and I would say, they said, no, I don't know if I don't really want that. And I said, so this is what you do. So I'm thinking I'm going to do recipe cards for some of the special items and um, hand it out to them because I enjoy it. Oh, very, very nice. Well, thank you for everything you're doing in the community, too. I think I think that's wonderful. And uh, it just uh, reminds me again why I, I admire you and so many other people do. So I, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out during a really um, sort of chaotic time in the nation. Uh, and I um, just, uh, you know, this has been one of the highlights of my day getting to talk to you. So uh um, we we really wish you the best with your um, with your business and um, just continued success. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I admire you so much. So this is a love fest. I really do um, admire the work you are doing. I really do. And I, I just want to be on record as saying that I think the work that the center is doing that you have dedicated your career and life to is, is extremely important because many of the people are getting opportunities to come to the center and engage in work and in places that they never would have otherwise. And so the opportunities that you are providing is extremely important. And I think they are a testimony for themselves and to themselves. The work that you do is its own testimonies. Guess what I'm saying? Oh, thank you. I, I always feel supported by you and um, we all we all do and um, just really enjoy uh, interacting with you. So thanks, thanks so much and stay safe and uh, grow some flowers for me. I, I love flowers. So. Um, and take care.